The following first half of this Your Voice episode was recorded on October 25th. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Nogales, the President and CEO of the National Hispanic Media Coalition. And I have on the line one of my favorite people of all time, but also a very, very effective, one of our best city councilmen in the city of Los Angeles, my good friend Gil Cedillo. Gil, welcome to the program. Thank you, Alex. Very, uh, always very happy to uh, be engaged with you in any, anything that we can, we can. Well, listen, I've got something right here that I need for you to explain to us. It is a sidewalk vending uh, issue that comes up time and again. I read it in the paper about this and about that. You made a motion. It looks like it's uh, already a done deal. But tell us what this motion is about. Look, um, we want to uh, decriminalize street vending. We think that uh, the better way would be to organize street vending, uh, create a situation where people get permitted to do this. We see street vendors as micro-enterprise prizes. We see uh, them as future bricks-and-mortar um, owners of restaurants and cafes, et cetera, uh, retail. And in many instances, it's gone full circle. Some of the bricks-and-mortar uh, restaurants in the city are now using trucks and carts, et cetera. And so, so it's an interesting cycle that's taking place. We're kind of in a culinary uh, revolution right now in Los Angeles. It's one of the top industries in the city. And so we think that we should decriminalize that activity, uh, organize it, promote it, uh, and, and bring some, org- some organization and sanity to it. The other aspect to it, which is very important to me, is... You know, the, in our country, you know, the crime should be appropriate to the, uh, to, or the penalty should be appropriate to the crime. And in this instance, many instances, somebody can get deported simply for selling a paleta, uh, an ice cream. And I think that's just too big a penalty. And so uh, we've been leading the charge on this, and uh, we're looking to our city attorney to help us review and analyze uh, those sections of the code and bring us some recommendations. All right. So there is a, a motion on the table at this point mm-hmm. that um, yep. that you have presented along with a, a council a member from the 14th district, uh, Jose Wizar. Is that correct? Correct. And right. how long will it take for this motion to go through the um, different committees that it has to go through before it, it becomes law, if it becomes law? Well, we've asked them to come back uh, within 30 days. Uh, so that's, that's what we've asked. It's, it's, uh, I guess expedited. And then, um, if it has to go to committee, it will, uh, on those recommendations and then come back to the floor for a vote. Perfect. Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, that you have it, this very important issue. Now, let me turn my attention to another resolution that was presented by Gilbert Cedillo, like I said before, city councilman of the first district. And that has to do with a temporary protected status, also known as TPS, immigration. So tell us what this is about and what this resolution will do. Well, uh, uh, TPS or TPS is a, a program that exists uh, within the structure of how Im- people migrate to the United States. Uh, there's over, you know, about 400,000, 430,000 individuals from 10 other countries who are covered by uh, TPS. Uh, it's utilized in many instances where there has been 
a natural disaster or some type of economic chaos or or a civil war in the in the case of uh, El Salvador. And so that program exists. Uh, if it's ended, then those people lose their legal status. And all of them have come here legally. They've come here uh, by the way that the law provides them to come here. And they're, they're here. It's a program much like the DACA program well, that gets uh, uh, reinstituted every 18 months. And so the challenge for us is to keep that program in place so that we don't disrupt uh, the livelihoods of those who are participating in the program. Particularly in my district, I have a large Central American population that relies on TPS, and it would be very disruptive to our community and to our city if that program ended and then they were stuck in some uh, you know, legal status that uh, did not permit them to stay. Gilbert, is this a federal program? It is. It is a federal, is a federal program. program. And the danger, of course, lies in that uh, it is just about running out and it doesn't look like the present administration is going to uh, put it back into effect. Is that correct? Right. We don't have any signal, any indication that they're paying attention to this. And so many of the community groups have uh, brought this to our attention. Uh, we want to, you know, get the city, the city uh, lobbying force in, in Washington in, in motion here. And so we're doing this resolution so that then we can work with other cities, other states, and, and supporting this program and trying to keep this pro program in place. Beyond doing the lobbying, what else can you do? Can you put, can the city put down money uh, to make sure that some of these people are protected? Uh, should the law not be continued and they um, be in danger of being deported? Yes, the city uh, has done that and is committed to doing that. Uh, we're looking to put $10 million to provide uh, defense for all immigrants, including the TPS uh, community. And what I like, and I think is more important, is we're also working to educate people. Uh, all persons who live here in a nation of laws have protection uh, by the law. We want people to be aware of what their what their rights are and their responsibilities, but what their rights are so that we can protect them and hopefully avoid uh, having to protect them when through the deportation process, but actually have them exercise their rights up front. Okay, let me understand that. This is a resolution that you presented. Does it have to go through legal before it comes up for a vote? Uh, what's the process here? Uh, the process right now is that this is a, a, a reso uh, to support any uh, legislative or administrative action that would extend the program. So right now it's kind of a, um, a resolution. And uh, uh, we know what the program is, and we know its impact if it doesn't move forward. So basically this is a, a presentation from the city uh, working with the mayor to make this part of our legislative program uh, for next year, for now and next year. All right. Thank you very much for that piece of information. Now we get to something that is very personal to you. Mm -hmm. uh, the Arroyo Vista Health Center uh, yes. invited me and many others to come to their dedication ceremony, uh, which was followed by refreshments yesterday. But the, the great thing about this was that it was a Ruby Cedillo Breast Care and Imaging Center named after your wife. Who passed away from cancer. Is that correct? That's correct. So tell us uh, about this. 
you know, I lost my wife 15 years ago, but it seems like, um, you know, 15 minutes in some, some instances. Uh, it's been uh, very tough. Uh, she was a beautiful woman, both um, in her heart and her spirit, and quite gorgeous, too. And, uh, you know, for 30 years, we were together. Uh, the last six, we lived with cancer. Uh, we had a lot of confidence and thought we would beat it. It was had it had its impacts on her. She had some paralysis towards the end, but we were fine. We um, uh, we were happy and we were moving forward. But it's an insidious disease, and it came back, and unfortunately, uh, it took her life. Uh, but I didn't want um, that to be the end of, of our story, and she has been my inspiration for many good things that I've done. Uh, my commitment to the driver's license and to the DREAM Act was in part because of her words towards uh, our, in our final conversation telling me to get this done, that I had to get this done. And she was involved in so many things in her life. You know, She worked with the probation department as a volunteer. She worked with the church. And so she was very, very active and, and did many great things for, for people. And so I wanted to, I'm, I'm pleased that we were able to do this. This was something that, that we, a legislation that we passed many years ago, uh, but uh, it had not been named after her, this cancer center. And I'm very pleased that they were, the people at Aurora Vista are wonderful. They're doing a great job. Uh, 25,000 women have benefited from this program uh, already. And uh, we heard from one of them yesterday. A great story about how the cancer center uh, helped her first figure out uh, what the challenges were, and then how to, to to prevail and to survive. Early detection is key uh, for breast cancer, in particular. If you get the early detection, you have a forty percent better chance of, of surviving uh, than if you don't, and that's a huge number. And so, we've made a lot of progress, and I was pleased that. Uh, my wife's legacy will continue to be part of this struggle. That is excellent, Gilbert. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, that is the Arroyo Vista Family Health Center with the Ruby Cedillo Breast Care and Imaging Center located at the same place. Worked on for many years until it became a reality by our dear friend, Gilbert Cedillo. Gilbert, thank you very much. And we will be talking again this coming week on many of the issues that face Los Angeles County. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Nogales of the National Hispanic Media Coalition again. Two of the issues that were explored in the first half of this show are of incredible importance to our community. So we taped a follow-up segment on November the 15th. The two issues are, again, street vending and TPS, also known as Temporary Protected Status. We're adding a third issue that is tied to TPS, and that is letters of representation. So stay with us as we explore the latest developments with our dear friend, City Councilman for the 1st District here in Los Angeles, Gilbert DeVille. Gilbert, welcome to the program. Thank you, Alex. It's always a pleasure to hear you and 
hear your voice and to do uh, to do work with you. So thank you very much for this opportunity. So we want to get right into the program and talk about TPS, Temporary Protected Status. Uh, in the first part of the show, we discussed it. Where are we now? What has happened with that? Well, we've gotten a signal from the administration. Um, obviously, some people want to end the program. Uh, a letter has been sent out uh, for Nicaraguenses. Uh, that they want to end the program, and this puts them in jeopardy because once that status changes or lapses, uh, they're without a uh, legal status, and they will become from being legal to undocumented. And so there's thousands of them that are here, and particularly in my district and in Southern California. Uh, so that's one, but the bigger one is that it will also, you know, the, the worry is that then, it rolls over to affect Hondurans, uh, people from El Salvador, uh, others who are under that status, and people are concerned about that because they believe that the conditions have not changed sufficiently for them to return. Remember, temporary protected status is a status that's given to countries that are impacted by hurricanes, earthquakes, other natural disasters, or have political strife, have civil strife, in the case of civil wars, like in, in Salvador, uh, and have a, a disruption such that we believe that as migrants that we want to give them a, a legal status in our country. And so many do not believe that the conditions have changed or that there's an environment for them to return. Uh, I, I note the case of Salvadorans who are here, third decade, fourth decade now, I'm sorry, that they're here in Los Angeles, in the central part of the city, uh, it's a whole community that's established here now. Uh, their children are here. Some are in the third generation of their children. And so uh, they're not ready to uproot themselves and return back to a country where their kids have no idea uh, where they're at. And so that's that's where we're at today. Uh, we have had press conferences. Obviously, we look to our Senate uh, delegation and our congressional delegation, the biggest in the country, uh, to weigh in on this and to help us uh, protect the uh, status of, of uh, migrants that are here under TPS. So the first ones are the Nicaraguenses that are mm-hmm. under threat. And yeah. I'm reading here that there's um, over 5,000 um, mm-hmm. in the United States. Now, uh, the order has not come down as yet. Uh, when do you expect this order to come down that that uh, uh, TPS is going to be uh, done away with, and that all these groups that have been here, some for generations, uh, will be asked to leave the, the country? Well, soon. I mean, it, 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 it's, you know, the administration is very unpredictable. Uh, so we look for signals, and obviously we them indicating that they're ready to terminate the program with the Naked Awenses puts us in a situation where we feel like that can happen at any time. And so we are obviously concerned. I've met with the uh, consulates, uh, the foreign minister from El Salvador, with the consul general from Nicaragua. Uh, there's a big concern uh, that this is imminent, and so we want to make sure that the administration understands that these are people who are here legally. We've made a commitment to them. They're fully integrated into the social and economic fabric of the city uh, and the region, and there's no need to disrupt that. Why would we disrupt that? I'm reading here um, the number of people under TPS. Uh, it is a huge number that we're talking about. It isn't 10 Salvadoreños and 10 Hondureños. 
29,000 Salvadorians simply here in Los Angeles County, another 36,000 Salvadoreños in Texas, uh, more than half of them in the Houston area, along with 8,500 Hondurians, the study found. It's an incredible number of people that are uh, at risk. Now, the big question is, uh, Councilman, what can be done? Okay, and before we get to that, I want to also note that where you may read that there's a certain number, but that person, right, has a spouse, has children, right, has roots and ties to the community. So you're not talking about the, the number 30,000, say, Salvadorians, but don't forget, that's not counting their kids. So their kids are here as citizens. And so that's part of the disruption that takes place. You know, the parents may have a, a TPS status or the, the the children may have a TPS status. Maybe the parents came here early and then the kids came out of the disruption. They have a TPS status. And so the number is actually bigger. The impact, the immediate impact, will be bigger than those numbers uh, that you indicated. What can be done? Obviously, uh, we need to, to work with organizations that have focus in that area, work with my office. I'm always available at uh, 213-473-7001. So always uh, my office is available to work on these matters. A huge Central American uh, community in my district west of downtown. And so we have a certain affinity uh, for this issue in this community. And so we're prepared to do all that we can. Uh, Second, there are firms, law firms like uh, the Center for Constitutional Rights, uh, Peter Shea's organization. Uh, there's other organizations like Chirla and Caresen that are focused on the Central American community, as well as groups like Salif, the Salvadorian uh, Legal and, uh, and Educational Fund. And so there's a, group, a series of groups that have emerged from the 80s uh, that are involved in integrating um, Central Americans into the mainstream of our community, but who are there also to defend uh, their, the rights of those who are here. And they would be the ones that, uh, to approach. And then we can work with those groups to obviously speak to our senators. Uh, Senator Feinstein is, has a lot of prestige and standing. Uh, this is where her relationships uh, will be important to us. Uh, and obviously Senator Kamala Harris, who's a you know, quite energetic, quite uh, enthusiastic about her role as a senator representing California. And then we have a huge congressional delegation. And so it's time for us here in California to make sure that we speak up as one united voice in the interest of our uh, community. Give us your office number again, please. It is 213-473-7001. Thank you very much for that. And I, I'm reading this. This number is incredible. In all, about 325,000 residents are here from 10 different countries to include Haiti, Syria, Somalia, and Nepal. But the biggest number is 212 Salvadoreños. Now, the councilman just said it isn't just those individuals that came in. It is also their families. They've, they've married, they've had children, and so forth. And if you multiply that by four, look at the number that you're getting. You're talking millions yeah. of people now. Now, we're going to be impacting more than a million people here. It's a very significant uh, community. Uh, what we really need, Alex, if I may, 
um, state my opinion, is we really need leadership and a focus on immigration reform. We we should stabilize the relationships with all these countries uh, and then figure out a way that people can come and go in a very organized way, provide legal status for people. Obviously, they're here, they're integrated, they're you know, they, if they play by the rules, they pay their taxes, they comply with the law, uh, we should afford them an ability to be here legally and not put them in positions of vulnerability and uh, disruption for them and their families. Uh, that's what Congress should be focused on. Uh, let's get rid of the politics and let's focus on what's best for our country and our relationship with other countries. Councilman, how can we, the public, you know, the public that is not terribly aware of what is happening with this program, how can we help? What is it that we can do to make sure that this is brought to the attention of all of our citizens, not only here in California, but across the nation? What can be done? Well, like I said, I think we need to work with our, our um, legislative leadership. I mean, we have very powerful and significant representatives from California. We should never underestimate our power. And I think for the audience, never underestimate the power of your voice, one voice, one phone call, one letter. I will tell you as a legislator, uh, whenever I get that type of feedback, it's very significant for me. I will in many instances pick up the phone and call a person back. When somebody goes to the time to write a letter, uh, goes to the time to make a phone call, uh, I will contact them back personally because it's significant because that person represents maybe 10, 20, 25 people. And so I, I find it very significant and I respond to that. I think people shouldn't underestimate the power of their voice, uh, and they should raise it, and they should stay engaged in this issue. And these troubling times, um, I have to tell you that I'm one of the ones that consistently call my um, representative. Uh, Mm -hmm. He is to the right, uh, and we don't agree, but I call on a regular basis on the many issues that he is voting on that are anti-Latino or anti-just citizen as a whole. And I do it very deliberately because I know what you've just said is very, very important. So, folks, I want to encourage everyone to not only call your representative, but also your senator. And we have great support here in the city of Los Angeles, uh, led by great leaders such as Councilman Gil Cedillo. So let us, let us, with one voice, raise it and make sure that the injustices that are going on across the country come to a halt or are mitigated to such a degree that that we can work with them. The next thing that we have here, Councilman, is letters of representation. Uh, is this tied in to the same issue of uh, uh, people being deported back to the countries of origin? In some fashion, is this complementing it? Yes. It's a part of a, a strategic response. Uh, we want to be sure that we're able to frustrate uh, and stop the uh, ICE uh, in their activities in the city of Los Angeles. We are a city of sanctuary. And one of the best ways is to make sure that people, uh, very popular phrase, people lawyer up. And so if you have a letter of representation, you're basically speaking to ICE and the administration and saying, look, I have a lawyer. Uh, I know I have rights, as limited as they may be. I have rights. I want to exercise them. And once you do that... Uh, you may still be arrested, you still may be detained, you may even be deported, but at the end of the day, when the hearing is held and you've lawyered up and the government has not 
respected those rights, all those uh, things get thrown out. And so it, it's a very, you know, it's challenging for particularly the, the immigrant to have the courage to say, look here, I want my lawyer. Uh, look here, I have these rights. Uh, look here, I'm not going to give you my uh, place of origin. Uh, that's going to require us to, to educate people, uh, to instill them with the confidence and the discipline to engage in that. But once they do that, it's very powerful. It's extraordinarily powerful. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We have one more issue to discuss, and that is the uh, street vending ordinance. You will remember that in the previous show, uh, the councilman told us where we were on that particular issue. Now it is uh, many weeks later. And where are we now, city councilman? Well, um, the LA Times ran a big story on it today, uh, talking about the the complications and the complexity of the issue, um, and the concern that the vendors have that they may be pushed out and pushed off. Uh, the numbers are huge. I mean, I I saw the numbers at fifty thousand people. That's a huge number of people. That's a lot of economic activity, uh, and you know, it's the future of a. Um, You know, those are future. What, what, when people see a street vendor, what I see is a is a micro enterprise, and I see a future uh, business person, an entrepreneur, who's going to be you know successful uh, in our in business community in the future. And so, uh, that's the way I look at it. And uh, you know, we're still waiting for the final rules and regs to come. Uh, I think next week may be something that we look at and vote on, and then send to the city attorney. And then the city attorney will have to write the ordinance. But I just want to remind people, I don't know if anybody's ever had a potato chip, a Frito-Lay potato chip. Uh, but that was a, a street vendor over at uh, what was called Pacific Ocean Park. A guy was there selling bits and pieces of uh, tortillas made up in what they called Fritos. and put them in a little brown sack and would sell them to you. Uh, that became the Frito-Lay enterprise. And so people should remember Uh, remember that. I also note that, you know, somebody selling a, a bacon-wrapped uh, hot dog, uh, the Reinersnitz was now selling that as the West Coast hot dog. So, you know, it's the beginning of a, of a future larger enterprise when you see somebody out there uh, working hard, working, not asking for welfare, not asking for uh, a handout, but actually just looking for an opportunity to provide a service. Well, Um, I agree with you uh, because I've seen it in my lifetime as well. Mm-hmm. I thank you so very much for this time uh, that you've given us, Gilbert, and we will see you very soon. And uh, hopefully you will be able to give us an update on this very important issue, the uh, street vending ordinance next week. Yes, Alex, we're looking for balance, right? I, I, I want to make sure we have a, a balanced response. We respect the, the, the future prospects of the street vendor, but let's not forget we've got guys with bricks and mortar who have made great investments and who have a lot of uh, commitment to running a, a bricks and mortar operation, and, and I'm looking for the, the soft spot in the middle. I'm looking for the balance so that both of them can uh, can prosper in our, in our great city and our great community. Let us hope that that happens. Again, thank you so much. Thank you, Alex.